Good morning, everybody. So lovely to see you all this morning, and welcome if you're joining us on the live stream. As well as John said, my name's Richard, if you don't know me, and I'm one of the leaders here. And uh, these, uh, we're, in, we're in the last couple of weeks of a preaching series that we've been in for the previous eight weeks called uh, Why Bother? And we've been looking at some of the basics of what it means to live the Christian life. Hence, why bother to read the Bible, or why bother to pray, or why bother to give your money? And uh, all of those talks can be heard in our websites. But today I'm asking the question, why bother to open up? Why bother to open up to other people, to fellow believers? Why bother to let them into your life, to ask you questions, maybe to hold one another accountable and to risk the awkwardness that sometimes comes with human relationships? Why do we need each other in that way? Why would we, why should we open up to others? Why is it important at a moment in history where all the wisdom you can want, all the self-help advice, all the DIY tips and cookery tips and parenting skills and marriage counseling and any number of online church services can be found within seconds on this little device. Why not just do it alone? I want to contend this morning from out of God's word that opening up to others and being accountable to one another in friendship and relationship where you hold each other up and encourage one another and make each other laugh and cheer each other on and invite people into your life and your walk with Jesus is about as important and a biblical thing as you can do. And it takes time and it takes effort and it takes discipline and it takes courage But in terms of the life that we're called to as Christians, I really can't see any way in which Scripture doesn't wholeheartedly endorse and instruct us to live like this. It never says, keep your faith and your ideas to yourself. These are private matters. Don't let others know when you're struggling. Don't ask for advice. Keep a stiff upper lip. Don't bring down the empire. Just pull your socks up. Big boys don't cry. No, in fact, what we read about in Scripture is families and tribes and togetherness and feasting and sharing and laughing and mourning together and serving each other, helping a a weak brother or sister when they're down or looking out for the needs of others. There's very few lone rangers in the Bible. And even when it does talk about people being alone, they're normally longing to be back in relationship and friendship with other believers. In the 1990s, there was a a man in Atlanta, a guy called Chris McCandless, who for various reasons associated with a a really tricky family life that he had, decided he was just going to leave home, leave community, leave society, and live a completely solo life and walk the earth, just go his own way. And he was going to get as far away from people as he possibly could. He was going to walk into the heart of the icy Alaskan tundra and be completely alone. He wrote in his journal, 10 days and nights of freight trains and hitchhiking bring me to the great white north. No longer to be poisoned by civilization, I flee and walk alone on the land to become lost in the wild. That was Chris McCandless's life goal. And so that's what he did. And he walked out into the uh, Alaskan tundra and he found that disused school bus that you can see on the screen behind me out in the middle of nowhere. And he used that for shelter and he foraged for food. And then winter came 
and he unfortunately got injured, and then he got very sick, and he wasn't able to feed himself, and he tragically died. A very young man in the middle of nowhere, totally emaciated from lack of nutrition and frozen to death. Chris McCandless, a young man desperate to get away from others. And as he lay dying, he wrote in his journal, one of the last things he wrote, what he'd come to discover, happiness. It's only real when shared. It's a tragic tale, and uh, this is not a message about how to find your happy or anything like that. But I do think the story highlights the danger of shutting other people out and living as an island. In this case, lack of community and relationship cost a young man his life. Let's read about what the Apostle Paul says in a small church community in a place called Thessalonica, which he loved and was cheering on from afar. Paul was at the time in Athens, about 300 miles away, and um, he had planted this church in Thessalonica, and he'd received a concerning report that his dearly loved brothers and sisters were facing uh, serious persecution from the prevailing culture and from the state. And uh, for their faith. So he, he writes this letter of encouragement to them. We're going to read together if you want to follow along. It's 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 1. Feel free to use your phones or your Bibles, but it'll come up on the screen behind me as well. So Paul writes to these people. He says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or from anyone else, even though, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. And then this is beautiful. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our whole lives as well. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not just the gospel, but our whole lives. This is how Paul preached the gospel and saw people turn to Jesus in Thessalonica. He told them about Jesus, and then he opened up his whole life to them. He shared his life with them, and he allowed them to see into his life and speak into it and to learn from one another. And conversely, he spoke into their lives, and he gave them an example to live by. And he reminds them of this in persecution because he knows that they're vulnerable. When the state wants to put you in prison or take your head for your faith, you are vulnerable to say the very least. And so Paul writes to them with real fatherly authority and love because he had built up the relational capital to be able to do so. This isn't a letter from some random guy in church HQ. He's writing from a place of deep personal relationship. And I believe that consequently, they would have been overjoyed to receive his letter and his instruction, and it would have strengthened them. And I find that compelling, that the sharing of life with other people can provide strength and encouragement and instruction, even and especially sometimes in the face of dire circumstances. So we've got to look at this passage 
and ask, what can we learn from this, and how, do it, how does it apply to us in the church today? Now, our challenge is partly that we don't live in a world that sets us up for this kind of community living and shared lives. We live in a world of data protection laws, of rights to anonymity, of increasing privacy. Those aren't inherently bad things at all. It's totally acceptable to have privacy and to exercise those rights. But the flip side of that coin is that in this culture, we're also encouraged to think more selfishly, more secretly, and to form opinions that best serve ourselves than the common good. And conversely, Paul is saying to these Thessalonians, the way that we built you up and helped you to live right was both by telling you the gospel and by sharing our lives, our whole lives. We're all in this together for the sake of the gospel. And that's how we're going to endure, by clinging to the gospel and living in godly communities so that we can encourage each other with the gospel right until we draw our last breath. And in highlighting this vital need for friendship and community, he's also telling us something really important about God. Because God resides in community and interdependence. God the Father is one with God the Son, is one with God the Spirit, and together they make up the Godhead. The three persons of the Godhead, the Trinity, is amongst other things a fully interdependent community within themselves. The fact is that God has never been alone and has always lived in complete interdependence within himself. As Mike Reeves says, it wasn't like that God the Father bumped into God the Son at some point and they realized much to their surprise how well they got along. That's why we can say that God is love, because there has never been a time that he hasn't completely lived within a perfect, loving community of Father, Son, and Spirit. That's why we call God Father, because that's what he's always been. And so we see that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, whilst distinct persons, are absolutely inseparable from each other. They are who they are together. And they have always been together. Now that's good news for us because it shows us that the very nature of the triune God is to be joyfully, expressively, abundantly happy to have others beside him. He finds his very self in pouring out his love. Creation itself is about the, the spreading, the outward explosion of that love. And as his children... That's what we are created and called to be like as well. Interdependent, loving, representing and bearing each other up, calling each other to live for higher purposes. That's what I want to, uh, to try and achieve this morning. Helping each other to do that by giving advice and seeking advice from one another and lifting each other up over obstacles. Paul is reminding the Thessalonians that in his love for them, he shared his very life with them. And the clear application for us is that if we're going to live this life for Christ, the best way to do that is together, sharing our very lives. We live in community because God lives in community. And as one united body, this is ever so important, we represent him in the world. Our togetherness 
should represent something of the character and the nature of a God who loves us so much that he sent his own son to die for us to the world. That's why our unity is so important and scripture instructs us not to go softly into that, but to fight for it, to look for it, to actively pursue it. That's why the Bible talks so much of us as a family or as one body. When one part of the body hurts, every part of the body should feel it. As a friend of mine uh, who uses this phrase, he says, Lone rangers are dead rangers. That's what happened to Chris McCandless out in Alaska. But in Jesus, we are one tribe. We're one family. We're one body. We go together. That would have been so true of that Thessalonian church. They needed each other. We need each other. Having strong relational friendships where we can ask each other for help and offer help is such an important part of how we mature in community and in biblical wisdom as well. That's one of the things I personally enjoy so much about the WhatsApps I receive in the mornings from my uh, community Bible reading group. Sometimes I can wake up feeling really discouraged, and then a close friend will share a biblical truth, and I'll go, yes, I need to hold on to that truth today. Here's some of the things that uh, King Solomon said in the book of Proverbs that are very short and pithy, but ever so helpful snippets of advice on this very subject. He said, Proverbs 15:22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 19, verse 20, he said, Listen to advice and accept discipline. How countercultural is that right now? And at the end, you'll be counted among the wise. He doesn't want to be counted among the wise. Proverbs 27, 17, I love this. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Each of these wisdoms teach us to live in a way in which others can speak into our lives in order to strengthen us. And together, we sharpen one another. My um, all-time favorite TV series is The West Wing, which tells of the fictitious events of the people uh, closest to the American president in the West Wing of the White House. And uh, in one particular dialogue between uh, the chief of staff, who's a recovering alcoholic, and his deputy, who's experiencing some traumatic flashbacks from something that happened to him, the chief of staff tells him the story. He says, this guy's walking down a street when he falls into a hole. The walls are so steep that he can't get out. And uh, a doctor passes by, and the guy shouts up, hey, you, can you help me out? And so the doctor writes him a prescription and chucks it down the hole and walks on. Then a priest comes along, and the guy says, Father, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? And so the priest writes him a prayer, and he throws it down the hole, and he walks on. Then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? Stuck in a hole. And his friend jumps in the hole with him. And our guy says, are you stupid now? We're both down here. And the friend says, yes, but I've been here before, and I know the way out. I'm so grateful that being part of a community like this one has meant that at times when I've been the guy in the hole, there have been others who've been able to jump in there with me and help me out. And by God's grace, I really hope that I've been able to do the same for others. 
when I feel like I don't want to pray or approach God with my sin or take my responsibilities as a father or a husband or live by a different standard than that required of me as a pastor, then I know I can reach out to a trusted friend or one of my buddies in the eldership team or someone I, I trust and love and receive wisdom or rebuke or encouragement to keep on going and to make good choices. And I know that without it, I'm completely dead in the water. A lone ranger is a dead ranger. And for this reason, I've always endeavored to have those kinds of relationships with other guys in the church, be that in my community Bible reading group or with a bunch of guys in my life group or within the rest of the eldership team. It's safe and it's wise, and it's a very practical way of applying Paul's words. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not just the gospel, but our whole lives as well. Let me, uh, let me give us three different ways to think about this and apply this in our lives. The first thing is to be real with God. True openness and accountability starts with transparency in our dealings with God. The crazy situation that we can sometimes get ourselves into is that we feel like we can't be honest with God about our emotions or our desires or our sin or the true condition of our hearts. And that's just bonkers because he's God and he knows it all anyway. He's your father. He cares for you. He understands that we are just dust and we get it wrong and that sometimes we feel things that we ought not to and that we sometimes make bad choices or we long for something more for ourselves and others. And just like any good father, he listens and he forgives and he counsels. And at times he disciplines or he helps us off the wrong track and onto the right one. But we must be real with him. It's just not coherent to believe that uh, um, we can express our, that we can't express our whole hearts to him, bearing in mind that he knows it already anyway. I've told the story before up here, but um, I think it's so helpful to just think about. Uh, a few years ago, my family and I were flying home from um, Ethiopia, and we were over North Africa, and suddenly the plane just kind of dropped from the sky a few hundred feet. It was absolutely terrifying. And this guy who was sitting behind me, who was a very well-to-do looking kind of guy, looked like a university professor or something, he just lost the plot. And he started screaming, Jesus, save me! And I, of course, did what any bloke would do in that situation. I kind of straightened my collar, shut my mouth, braced for impact. And then it happened again. And this guy's waving his hands around, he's shouting, Jesus, save me! And almost as soon as that had happened, the kind of captain's voice comes over the tannoy, ding! Sorry about that, just a little bit of turbulence. The duty-free trolley will be coming around presently. That wasn't the prayer of a guy with a PhD in theology. It was a pretty raw moment of appeal between one man and his God. And who knows, maybe his prayer saved us, I don't know. But in that moment of peril, his immediate response was a gut-level, no-holds-barred appeal to God. And I have a lot of respect for that. In fact, as far as prayers go, if you've never prayed before, that's not a terrible place to start. I think that's more or less where I started. Please, Jesus, will you save me? And the Lord of all creation, of all majesty, the ancient of days, hears your heartfelt cry. That's such a huge thought. John 9.31 tells us, if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. It's remarkable. Second thing, be real with yourself. 
You need to come to terms with the fact that you probably won't make it alone. Or if you do, it'll be with a very pronounced limp. And that's because there's absolutely nothing in God's word that tells us to go solo. There are no Chris McCandless stories in here. And when someone tries it, stuff like being swallowed up by a fish and vomited out on a beach happens to them. Because God wants more for you than that. Literally all the biblical counsel is to get into and to stay into a body of believers and participate in accountable, caring relationships with other people. My, um, my biological father's side of the family were all practicing Jews, so I have some experience of observing the customs of Judaism up close. And one of the most beautiful expressions of what I've uh, talked about today, I observed when my, my grandmother died. In Judaism, when an immediate relative dies, you sit shiver. And the custom is tied back to uh, some of the early stories of how communities consoled people in their pain in the Bible. If you're um, part of a community Bible reading community at the moment, or a group at the moment, you'll be reading about the painful and the confusing experiences of Job and how his friends come and sit with him in his misfortune and they hear his cry and they offer him support. The whole principle of Shiva is in the seven days following the death of a relative, friends and other relatives will come and sit with you in your home on low stools to sit with you in the lowness of your mourning, and they comfort you and they'll console you through that period. And it's a time full of tears and food and memories and laughter, and it all points to the fact that this is tough, and it's going to be even tougher to be alone at this time. So we'll come and sit with you in your morning. We'll jump in the hole with you, and we'll get you through this. Job's friends came and sat shiver with him in his misfortune. And in so many ways, that's the gospel story as well. Jesus, our closest friend and brother, sees us in a hole, sees us in our mourning and in our plight, he doesn't write us a prescription or a prayer and keep on walking. He jumps into the hole with us, and he comforts us, and then he rescues us out. He's waiting for you today to call out to him and say, I need you. You might need to ask somebody, even today, to help you to make that appeal to Jesus, even maybe for the first time. That's one of the beautiful things about being in a community like this, that together we can help one another to cross the line of faith and then to stay there in the most healthy way. You and I need significant friends that we can open up to, whose wisdom we can receive and whose lives we can talk into. If you really are going to be real with yourself, here are some questions that I've found helpful to ask myself over the years. You might find some of this helpful. Do I have someone with whom I can discuss where I'm at with my relationship with God? And would I be vulnerable enough to speak to them or, or someone I trust about the state of my heart? How do I spend my time and my money? Where does my mind often slip to when I'm stressed or tired? How am I caring for others around me? How am I doing at battling sin? What's it actually like to be around me? This is what I'm currently battling with. And this is how I intend to win that fight. So these are some helpful questions that I've, um, I've tried to live by. And because I so value and help the strengthening of others, I've actually implemented some personal rules which I want to share for you to consider as well to see if any of these are helpful for you in your walk with Jesus. Now, this may not be for everyone, but this is how I've decided to do this. 
I've decided that I won't live with any area of my life that isn't open to conversation with either Victoria, my wife, or my fellow elders, who are also my close friends. I don't want to live in secret in any area of my life. Privacy, of course, is totally fine, but secrecy, for me, is a danger. It was in unaccountable secrecy that the great King David began to plot the death of his friend so that he could steal his wife. And I never want to get close to anything like that. I've also said to Victoria that she's free at any time to speak to certain women within the church or any of the elders if she feels that I'm behaving like an idiot in any way or not hearing her or if I'm living counter to the Bible's instructions. There's a range of um, interpretation in there. I don't make any big decisions in my life, like moving house or having kids when we were going through that or spending a lot of money on something without taking the advice of some friends here at Gateway. This gives them the opportunity to say, hang on just a moment, that's not consistent with what you've previously said Jesus is calling you to in this season. And I I really value that. And practically, it helps me to avoid confirmation bias, making a decision that's uh, based on what I want to be true rather than something that's actually true. Remember, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they are successful. You may not want to live by all those guidelines, but I choose to because nothing is more important to me than staying in right relationship with God and his people. And I've seen far too many slip up for lack of otherwise godly voices in their lives. And so in being real with myself and staying the course, the counsel of others has been vital. Finally, we need to be real in the church. There is a phenomenon that I've observed in various churches and places that I've been over the years. I call it the praise the Lord phenomenon. Here's here's how it works. I walk past, say, John on a Sunday morning, and I haven't seen John for a week, and so I ask him, hey, how was your week, and how are you? And because we aren't brilliant at this stuff, John says to me, yeah, life's great, thanks for asking, praise the Lord. And inside, maybe he's dying. Because frankly, life isn't always great, and every week we face challenges, and there's never a time when we don't need inputs and advice and wisdom and encouragement from one another. Now, I'm I'm not suggesting that you deliberately dig around for problems, because personal resilience is also to be praised, but I would encourage you to be honest when you need to be, and to ask for help when you need it. I can't tell you the number of people I've spoken to over the years who've said that they're struggling with anxiety or depression or debt or anger or sin or frustration for months and years and just kept it to themselves. And I've said, why didn't you reach out sooner before it became this bad? I'm your brother. I hate that you're hurting. I want to help. We, we need each other. And we need robust, accountable relationships that can cheer us on in this race that God has marked out for us. And at Gateway, we've got a number of structures in place for exactly that kind of thing. If you don't have those voices in your life already, community Bible reading I've mentioned, we've got life groups, women's events, men's events, and every Sunday, the opportunity to reach out to another brother or sister right here and say, hey, this is where I'm at. What do you think? Or can you help me? Or will you stand with me in this issue? Or just pray for me. I'd expect you in this community to find grace and wisdom, and absolutely no sense of shame. We just do not do shame here. Let's, let's finish just by looking at Paul one more time. His whole mission in life was to build communities 
that honored and brought glory to Jesus. It filled his whole vision. He was like a man blinkered for this goal. When he was in Thessalonica, it had been only a, a few weeks prior to that that he'd been stripped naked in the streets and beaten up in the town square in a place called Philippi. That's why it says we were treated outrageously in Philippi. And then he was chucked in prison. And he knew this, the risk was exactly the same in Thessalonica. And then he goes on to Athens and to Corinth, where the risks are exactly the same. And throughout his life, he endures hardship and beatings and imprisonment. And he says, I don't care. I love you. I love Jesus too much not to share the gospel with you. And I'm going to do it in person, in real life, sharing my life with you. That's one of the reasons that lately we've been teaching so much about the danger of consumerism or harmful isolationism. It's why, as elders at the moment, we pray in the season that people don't get too comfortable with not coming to church and decide that it's easier just to do it alone. Because by being together, by living out our trust in Jesus together, we might not only receive from the community, but we also build into it as well. And so we're all built up, and the church is built up, and the gospel is proclaimed, and Jesus is glorified. And whoever and wherever you are, you are so welcome to be a part of that. Paul concludes this whole passage of Scripture like this. He says, when we were with you, we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. That's why we should bother to open up and share lives, so that we might encourage one another, comfort one another, and importantly, urge one another to live our lives worthy of the calling that God has put on us. And his calling on us is into his kingdom and his glory. Why bother to open up? For the glory of God. For the sake of one another in the church who we are instructed to love. For our own ongoing walk with Christ. For our maturing and our strengthening. And for the maturing and the strengthening of the church. And because it's very clearly for our own good. This is a kind of muscle that does need to be worked, especially at a time of social distancing. We need to be better at picking up the phone and asking for help and encouraging others and inviting them in to life with Jesus and reminding one another of the gospel. We bother to open up because we love each other, because we love the gospel, and because we love and honor Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you that you have called us into your kingdom and your glory, and you've called us into your family. You've adopted us. We are no longer orphans. We are family members, and you have placed us amongst brothers and sisters to rub up against each other so that we might grow into family adoption and love and uh, grace and wisdom and that we might strengthen each other and build one another up and that you might be glorified and that together we might display something of your glory to a watching world which is so desperately in need of the truth right now. And so Lord, for each of us I pray, would you strengthen us to that end now?
Holy Spirit, would you so fill us with love and compassion and mercy and grace for one another? Would you so fill us with the ability to be vulnerable and transparent where we need to be? Not foolishly so, but so that we might strengthen one another and strengthen the church and the gospel might go forth. Jesus, we ask all of these things because we believe you're worthy of all the honor and worship. In your name, Lord. Amen.